0: PUT is a not for profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PUTcast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the PuttCast. This is Monique Whitney, the Executive Director for Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. We are so excited to be back again in 2021. And with me is Putt President Scott Newman, who is also my co-host. Hello. Thanks for being with us, Scott. So at the time that we're recording this, it's been only, 2021 is only a few days old, and there's already a lot a lot happening, (laughs) which is what I think is going to make this particular episode even more interesting, because as we're recording this, we are in, I don't know, week whatever of the the vaccine rollout, and there's been a lot of political drama. Uh, But we have an opportunity to talk about something also very dramatic, and that is uh, this acquisition of Medicare, this Canadian drug manufacturer who acquired Marley Drug.
2: Yeah, so that's uh, an interesting, you know, idea that, that these guys have put together. And uh, I think we should just note that, that um, Marley Drug is in North, North Carolina. Um, and it, and this is a Canadian company that is trying to, you know, break into providing a, a, a drug that, you know, is difficult to even get on formulary without all kinds of hoops and restrictions. So it'll be interesting to hear their take on this.
0: Yeah, yeah, the hardest thing up to this point, and I think you would agree with me on this, has been just trying to understand from a manufacturer's point of view what it's like to try to work with a PBM. Because we know, we know from the pharmacy side, I know from the patient side, but we have this incredible opportunity to get a behind the scenes look at, uh, you know, what happens with a drug that, would have been a $700 drug for a patient, but is now a $90 drug or a $1 a day drug. So with that, let me introduce the our, our two panelists, the stars of our show this evening. First is Neil Owens, who is the, the president of Medicare. Neil, welcome.
3: Thanks for the invitation and I'm glad
1: to be here.
0: We're so, so glad to have you. And then of course, Dave Marley, the founder of Marley Drug, Dave.
1: Good evening, glad to be here.
0: And on a side note, we're also really glad to have Dave on because this is Putt's 10th year and Dave is our esteemed founder. So congratulations on on 10 years. Did you have any idea it would go this long?
1: No, I really didn't. You know, part of the reason I'm thrilled to be here tonight is uh, seeing where you guys have taken this idea we had back in 2011 and, you know, uh, excited to see what you're doing with it yeah thank
2: you yeah, that's interest interesting uh, to have have just a quick take from from Dave on on uh, what he thinks of the organization what it looks like now versus versus when they were gearing it up but that I'd love to hear just a moment of his thoughts on that all right
0: Dave sure right you
1: know you know back in 2011 you know there was a lot going on you know in the PBM world they were having more and more negative influences on on retail pharmacy than we've seen through the years, you know, and everybody was all hot and excited about lawsuits and legal action and lobbying and spending money to do this and do that, you know, and somewhere along the line was the realization that the PBMs were always going to out-lobby us. They got more money than God. They got two-to-one lobbyists on the hill. They were always going to out-legislate us. You know, we could pass a bill, and then they'd find a way to pass another bill to get around it. So me and a couple others were talking one day, and we just said, you know, what about the court of public opinion? If we could make the consumers, and more importantly, the purchases of the product, the the HR directors of these large self-insured companies, if we could expose the game through public relations, maybe we could actually have an impact. Because we were getting nowhere legislatively, and we were getting nowhere— um, politically or, or, or with uh, with legal lawsuits. And so, you know, that was the premise behind it. And so we put out a call to money, and we raised, I don't know, $250,000 over a period of a month, and we out and hired, hired the first PR firm. And the thing that I'll, I'll leave you with was, you know, when we realized we had something, it was during the Lipitor rebate scandal. Way back in 2011, when Lipitor went generic and the PBMs sent out to everybody, no, you're going to still have to dispense the brand. That was, you know, what we're talking about now. Nine years later, the game is still going on. And it's going on far more uh, than it was even back then. The, the dollar figures we're talking about, and then we're going to talk about tonight, what the, what the PBMs are grabbing, these rebate dollars and inflating the cost of the drug. Um, you know, it, it's still going on. And so, yes, putt is still very much needed. Uh, you guys have taken it to a level far beyond what I could have imagined. So I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, to further exposing the game tonight.
2: Yeah, I've told the uh, Lipitor story on a on – a, not our podcast I don't believe, but maybe on like the Business of Pharmacy podcast at one point that uh, I was hoping I got right because I had heard it through several – you know uh, people's mouths before it got to me. So glad, glad you uh, reaffirmed that for me. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. This is it's really it's an exciting it's really exciting night. So this is actually a perfect opportunity to, to to turn this over to you, Neil. So so you have this company, so Medicare, and and I think what would be helpful for the people who are listening is to hear a little bit about you know, Medicare and what you all do and what you specialize in and, and how you even came to know Marley Drug and Dave Marley.
3: Yeah. So we are a smaller company. We're based in Winnipeg, Canada. Uh, we're about 30, 30 employees. And we had actually always focused on hospital products. So we went uh, to the U.S. to uh, market products in, in uh, the cardiovascular space. And it was only relatively recently that we acquired a product uh, for the statin market and decided to basically go down the typical route of of marketing to consumers. So we we did the standard approach of going to PBMs to get insurance coverage. And as a side note, as, as a Canadian, I didn't know what a PBM was until I actually dealt with the US system um, but that was the standard that, that was expected. <laughs> and uh, we, we quickly found my expectation was that as a cardiovascular product, you um, would be used to lower cholesterol and the, the, the PBMs would basically evaluate the product based on its clinical merit. And what we found was is that the only thing that they were interested in was what was the rebate that we could offer them. And to me, it was a strange approach, it was a a strange system, Uh, but we decided to to forge ahead uh, and and see what we can get. And basically we went nowhere with the PBMs. And part of that might be just because we're a smaller company, Um, but really when we hit a wall, it was in terms of the patient experience. And generally speaking, how I I tell the story is that when we, heard from patients and physicians basically the misery of of getting the drug prescribed and approved, we knew we had a problem. And basically we've since discovered that we think that there's a more systemic problem in terms of the whole process. And one of the benefits of being a smaller company is we could actually be innovative and try new things. And one of them was to completely bypass the PBMs And lo and behold, we found a pharmacy that was for sale. And our idea was to bypass the PBMs and go directly to to patients and say, look, we can actually give you a much better price by bypassing your insurance plan. And we're happy, you're happy, and the physician is happy. And I still remember the first conversation we had with Dave where he was basically of the same mind and he's always tried to advocate for better pricing for, for patients and consumers. And there was really a meeting of minds where we, we kind of saw the light and thought, this is a, a new approach, uh, it's different, but in the end, it's better for, for us as a manufacturer and it's better for, for physicians and consumers. And we're excited to to kind of embark on, on this new and different path.
2: We're excited too. I can tell you that, you know, this shouldn't be a novel concept and this shouldn't be the first conversation that we've had about this, but congratulations. It's amazing that you're taking the step. Um, we, we all know that this is the, the right way to, to do it. Um, I, I hope that the you know I hope that the the infiltration that you guys are able to, to accomplish with it, you know, proves the, the theory to the fact because nobody's been in the situation to make it happen until you guys uh, came along.
3: Yeah, if I can tell a little bit of a story to kind of put this in context is uh, we heard from a patient who basically said, look, uh, I'm taking a statin, uh, which is the medication that we're, we're marketing, uh, and it's giving me terrible muscle pain. And I went to my doctor and I said, I need a different type of statin. And the, the physician, physician said, okay, but in order to get the, 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 different, the newer statin covered, you're gonna have to fail on five different statins before the insurance company uh, will actually let you uh, take this new statin, which is uh, in the drug class that we're marketing. And so they did. And, and that patient failed on five different statins Uh, And then when they went to actually get it filled, it was still extremely expensive. Um, And so they said, okay, so this is uh, not going to (laughs) work, but it so happened that uh, they could try our product uh, and it works for for that patient and it's accessible in terms of price. So there was that level of frustration in patients and then from doctors. They were telling us, look, this is a this is a huge headache for us to process insurance claims. I never know if I write prescription if it's actually going to get covered. And the patient usually goes to the pharmacy. It's not there, it's not in stock, and the patient comes back frustrated, and the doctor actually doesn't know why it was rejected by the insurance company um, in terms of, of prior authorization. But... Uh, they have all of this overhead in terms of staff in order to process uh, the insurance claims. So when, we, when we've spoken to, to physicians about this concept, they immediately loved the idea. And they said, this this is a, a game changer for us because we know that when we find a right medication for, for a patient, uh, we know it's gonna get filled. And we know that that patient is not gonna come back with a sticker shock of what the price is and that it's actually going to get filled. So those are, are kind of the two perspectives that we used in order to think about a, a different a different model.
0: Okay, so there's a lot to unpack in just that that one story. you know, you've already touched on rebates, uh, step therapy or fail first therapy uh, for a drug that, was then in the end super expensive, but didn't wasn't necessarily didn't necessarily have to be that expensive. There, there's a lot to say about that, and I definitely want to talk about that. But one thing I, I'd like to do is I'd like to ask Dave, Dave, you wouldn't you know just sell your pharmacy to anybody. So I'm curious about what prompted you to have this kind of relationship with a manufacturer. Why why sell your pharmacy to Medicare? Why why do this?
1: You know, this is a really going to be a really fun story to tell. I don't think I've even told this to Neil, um, so this may be the first time he hears this. You know, the day that I spoke to them on the phone, I had spoken to what I'll call three other suitors. You know, as part of, the, part of the process of putting a business for sale, we hired a broker that was, you know, shopping us around. And I had talked to two other people and had to explain who we are and what we do and why we do it, why I thought we were so great. And so honestly, I was tired. I was like, all right, last call of the day. Let me just get through this one. And you know, the, I get them on the phone, and they're talking about this brand name drug. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go. You know, they they want us because we we've got our our, our 50 licenses, uh, but they expect us to be able to process claims through insurance because they're a brand, and they're talking about a brand statin. And it wasn't until Dr. Friesen spoke up, the uh, the CEO of the company, and said, no, we don't like PBMs either. And I was like, oh, oh well, all right, wake up, <laughs> get back in the game here. I need to see what these guys are talking about. And so when they explained, yeah, that's a brand name drug, but it's only $90 for 90 pills. And then I was like, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> back up a second. You're you you're a brand name drug. You're selling a brand name statin at a generic price. Well, yeah, and then, then they, they went on to explain what their goal was. They said, we don't like PBMs either, and we understand you don't like them. So we just want to use your infrastructure to sell this drug and at that point you know i went through the rest of the call and was trying not to you know jump out of my chair and go please 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 let this work you know i was trying to feign some of my enthusiasm because i probably would have sold it for a fraction of the price <laughs> but it just sounded after everything that i've done in this arena for the last well, i've had my store 17 years and i think i started fighting with the pbms they you know, day one, this just sounded like the perfect, could this possibly be true? Could could this really be the the way out, you know, when I say out of, of selling the store, but in a way that completely complements everything that our store has been about for the last 17 years, you know, with our discount generic program and, and our ability to get medications in the hands of people without touching the PBM. I mean, that's been our goal since... Gosh, I think it was 2000, 2011 has always been about how can I get the PBMs out of my business model? And so here to have uh, someone who was who is interested in, in not only in what we do and how we do it, but understands it and wants to bring a product to, 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 to the market through our system and then from a business side to be the only one that can do it, well, that's just a no-brainer. And so... Um, you know, there's lots of, lots of uh, just incredible synergies and, and even the personalities from day one, we, you know, they all just seemed like family, you know, although I think I do swear a little bit more than they do, but I'm from New York and they're from Canada, but, uh, you know, we're all a <laughs> bunch of hockey players and hockey fans and can we get along great. <laughs>
2: awesome. I think it's amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. You-
2: Definitely. I, I tell you what, if there's any type of uh, Canadian drug importation that I would support, this would be it.
1: Well, you know, and that, that's important to discuss. Now, I'll let Neil cover that more, but it's important to, since you mentioned it in that frame, we got to make sure that, that we're clear on this. This is not a Canadian importation product you know, or, or right. device. You know, these guys, they're companies based in Canada. But this is just, you know, another manufacturer actually with a U.S. subsidiary. That's you know, where we're Absolutely. buying drug from. And it's not about Canadian importation at all.
0: So just kind of going back to a second, it's unusual anymore to hear about an organization, uh, you know, like like a Medicare, right? Like Medicare who who genuinely believes in this product. They believe in their product and they want to sell it because at a lower price, and I don't mean just like a little lower price, a substantially lower price because they they genuinely care about the patient they they have actual values i mean dave you are pretty well known in in our industry in the independent pharmacy world for being someone with strong values you know who's outspoken and you know isn't afraid to say the thing that needs to be said and so it's it's just it's really interesting that that you and and Medicare that you all found each other because you're right. It's like you are you are like this family.
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, when I tell people or people, you know, friends of mine here, well, you sold out and you sold the business. What are you gonna do? I'm like, well, I don't think I'm gonna keep doing what I do because this is gonna be a lot of fun.
0: Okay, so Dave, taking into account the recent Supreme Court case, Rutledge versus PCMA, and the favorable ruling, How do you see that factoring into your decision to run with this business model?
1: The reason that SCOTUS ruled against the PBMs um, and what we're doing go hand in hand. You know, the PBMs have hidden behind ERISA for so long to try and say, you can't regulate us, you know, or the states can't regulate us because we're covered by ERISA. But ERISA has no regulations. And because there's no regulations, they've been you know, gouging everybody and everything that they can get their fingers into. And so what we're doing with Medicare and Marley, you know, by by cutting the PBMs out only happens because there was no regulation. You know, if there was appropriate regulation, this wouldn't even have been needed. You know, if states had adequate control over the PBMs, this wouldn't have been needed. You know, this happened, this merger happened because it was the only way that this manufacturer could get their their, you know, cost effective, clinically superior, side effect averse drug on the market because there's no damn regulation. So, you know, SCOTUS definitely made the right move. Hopefully hopefully the states will follow suit, and get the appropriate regulations and licensing in place to curtail some of this nonsense. So yeah. You know, again, just a little tie-in between between what we're doing and the ruling of uh, the Supreme Court recently.
0: So, so let's now actually go back and explore a little bit of some some of the things that Neil you were talking about. Uh, and you know, without putting you too much on the spot, because you know, there's a certain reality to the conversation we're having. There's a certain you know kind of legal reality. I think it would. Really, be great if you could tell us how a drug that should have been a seven hundred dollar drug can be sold at the price you're selling it for, and and still be profitable. You know, still keep you're a publicly traded company in Canada. Still keep your shareholders happy. How, how are you able to do that? What tell us tell us about this?
1: Yeah,
3: so it's it's interesting. So the the way that the system works, and I, and basically the, the way that I was. Uh, Kind of learned about the process myself was that the the whole system is set up that there's a, a very high what's called the wholesaler acquisition cost or uh, kind of a wholesale price and that's what most people will see uh, that's generally speaking the the price that you would pay if you don't have any insurance uh, or if there's no rebate from from the insurance company uh, and what the pvm does is they negotiate a rebate um, such that they can show that rebate to their, to their members, to the insurance companies. However, they do uh, mark up that price themselves uh, as part of the process. And what the manufacturer ends up with is a fraction of that wholesale price. And it just doesn't, again, it just doesn't really make sense to us uh, as to what is the benefit for the actual patient because in the end uh, there's this huge transfer of funds uh, which impacts their deductible and it impacts the ability for those with government insurance to actually get access to the drug Um, but so in the end it doesn't actually make a huge difference for us if we sell it um, you know uh, at 90 dollars for 90 days that's still a very good margin for us as a company um and that ends up being, you know, a very clear price for, for consumers. So um, the I, I think you have to think about, you know, why is the system set up that way? Who's actually benefiting if it doesn't really benefit the manufacturers in the end to actually have that high wholesale
2: price? If, if that doesn't make somebody steaming mad, then I don't know <laughs> what would. And, and the idea that they sit in front of subcommittees and say – things like, well, we don't set the prices the drug manufacturers do. When we all who are learned into this crazy system know that that's a technicality. They literally tell you what it's going to cost to list the drug in order to you know, create that, that money transfer because it's easier to hide it when you do it that way.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, I,
3: think I think that's, I, that's, that's, that's really I, true. Yeah, go ahead, Dave.
1: I think, the, I think the criminal term is called money laundering, <laughs> right?
2: It almost is just like nothing like you know a, the word kickback doesn't exist in this in this industry for some reason, you know. Um, and, but they are in of, fact setting the list prices. One one of the turning points for us um, as a
3: company was when we uh, we were not getting. Any coverage, we weren't getting anywhere with the P- PBMs, no matter what rebate we gave. Um, and there, there's different tiers of, of coverage, um, which, which, in the end, have a uh, result in a really high copay for the for the patients. So, uh, we just kept increasing the rebate because we wanted to get it covered. We thought it was a benefit to you know to the to the right patient. But at some point, we we said you know. Why aren't you giving us any coverage? No matter what rebate we give you, and they said basically you're actually on par with generic statins, you know, which are some of the most accessibly priced medications out there. Um, but if we give that, if you give, if we give you that coverage, it's going to hurt our quality metrics. And at that point, I d- I said, you know what, we're not going to get anywhere with this, uh, and so let's just we have to find a, a different way of doing business because this is crazy.
2: Absolutely crazy.
0: It's fascinating that they would mention the quality metrics. Did they define the quality metrics just out of curiosity?
3: So they didn't actually define it. Um, they, <laughs> I think that was their, their catch-all term to make us go away.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's our working theory too, because it always seems to come down to that. Yeah. Uh, we were presenting some model language at the American legislative exchange council last month. And one of the things that we were, we were talking about in our, in our proposal was to eliminate the the excess certification fees that PBMs require of pharmacies just to be able to participate. You know, it's, it's such a company store kind of structure anyway. And the argument we got back and it was so Vehement and so passionate from the opposition was, you're ruining our quality metrics. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I could buy it, you know, I give a check for $500 and that'll buy your quality metrics right there. What are your quality metrics? Define your quality metrics. There was no no definition at all. So I was curious if they defined it for you, but agree, seems to be a good catch-all phrase for them.
3: Yeah, no, even even for the manufacturer, they, they didn't actually define it. Um, and just the, the other part of the story for me is is the, you know, the price game, but also just, you know, what, again, just bringing it back to what does this actually mean for people who actually need the the product? Because in the end, these are people who just want to lower their, their cholesterol. So, you know, they're, these are real people who are struggling and to have, they want to be able to use their insurance, obviously, because they're paying for it, um, but to be stuck in this position where, okay, they can't get access, but then when they do, it's still extremely expensive because of their copay. Uh, that to us was, was also just a, another reason to, to cut out the PBMs altogether and just go through the cash route.
0: So if, if I remember correctly, the, the, the brand version, it, its price is up over $1,000 now
3: yeah that so the 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 main competitor that that we have um i would i would say that they've taken the the classic route of um they're priced at over eleven hundred dollars for a 90-day supply uh, and they've they've done a price increase twice a year for the past 10 years uh that's that's the standard approach because i think that that in our mind that keeps the pbms happy because then they're continuing to see a return from that high wholesaler price. Um, and so that that's kind of the situation that we face, which um, we can actually offer what's called a pharmacy, pharmaceutical alternative, same active drug. But it's a different salt um, that we can actually offer for 90 days, uh, $90 for 90 days. So it's a huge price disparity uh, for basically the same active component.
2: Can we talk about the, um, the, that, that mechanism for a second? And, and, um, I'm very glad that you guys are, uh, you know, what I would consider in, you know, the, the, the drug manufacturer world, a moral corporation uh you know changing the salt form is kind of a or even changing you know a methyl group on a drug that the brand drugs do to make a product that's basically the same as uh, something that already exists from a from a functional standpoint um but then they typically jack the price up on that or they claim another 14 year you know exclusivity with an NDA um, well, first of all, the idea that the, the the competitor's product, they didn't patent any of the salt forms of it is kind of stupid to me. But, you know, when, when something like this happens, it, usually what we see in the industry is, you know, a, a, a like product that is significantly more on a list price side to milk the system. And the fact that you guys did this and did the opposite with it, like that really makes me happy.
1: Yeah, Scott, what you're describing in the, in the technical terms is called product life cycle extension, or PLE. And, yeah, that, that's what they all do. You know, as I'm sitting here listening to Neil talk, I'm reminded, I'm going to age myself here real quick. I'm reminded of the movie Mr. Mom. And you remember the guy, they were doing the uh, the commercial on the tuna can, Schooner Tuna. And the, and the CEO was there holding the can of tuna, and it was a Schooner Tuna, the tuna with a heart. You know what you have here is Medicare. You know the pharma with a heart. You know you don't see this with big pharma. You know, and I'll put some of the blame on them, but obviously it's the PBMs that are that are driving it. But you truly have a manufacturer with a heart. You know that really gives a shit about uh, basically upending every angle of the of the distribution channel. And like you just said, you you took a PLE product life cycle extension product uh, mechanism, but did it the other way around. <laughs> you took a, a salt of pitavastatin, rebranded it as Zipitamag, and cut the price down to ninety percent. You know, you just don't see that. You know, pharmaceutical manufacturers don't do that. And to be able to yeah. do that, and then, and then <laughs> cut the PVMs out of the equation, and then go so far as to spend a significant amount of money to to give it a try. I mean, it's there's so many parts of the story that are are, are huge uh, on many levels.
2: Yeah. I think that, I think that that hasn't been talked or hasn't been to this point talked about enough because I think that it's something that is enormously huge, different way of what our normal is in this industry.
1: Well, and uh, I'll give you one more, you know, uh, hypothetical. Think about it 10 years down the road. And this is the story that I, that, uh, you know, I talk to the Medicare folks about uh, often is, okay, let's say this works, which I believe it will. You know, think about it in the short term and the long term for an independent store. owner. You know, the, the short-term independent guy might might hear this and go, but yeah, it's a restricted model. I, I don't get to do it. You know, why can't we do it? In the short term, yes, you, you don't have access to this drug and it's only going to be, be done this way. But think about it downstream. So let's say this works and then Maybe the manufacturer of Zarelto says, you know what, I don't, I don't like charging 500 bucks a, 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 a for 30 tablets. You know, maybe they would do this with us, and we could put Zarelto out there. Again, independent pharmacists might say in the short term, but I don't get to dispense it. You know, why are you cutting me out of the loop? But if we do it enough, and we do it with enough brand name drugs that we've taken away the power of the PBM. So you tell the independents, in the short term, you're going to lose a lot of your brands. Well, how many guys really give a shit about dispensing brands right yeah, now? Yeah, have
2: them all, please.
1: Yeah, take take them all away because we're getting screwed on them anyway. And so we take the brands away from the independents and we destroy the PBM industry in the process. And then we bring everything back to what it used to be. <laughs> you know, back in... I, I could, I honestly... I
2: honestly had that thought leading up to this call. When I'm driving down the road, making a couple of local deliveries, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, if this takes off, I mean, it really could change things. You know, you know, real, real change for how our model works here because it just it doesn't work, but it keeps getting pushed and 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 forced to work. It's not sustainable, though. This model, it it can't sustain the way in the direction that it's going because it's driven by the greed of, you know, a, a, a middleman that produces, manufactures nothing, distributes nothing, has no inventory to, to stock, and still claims on their taxes that they own the drug products that we're selling, uh, but none of the expenses involved. And, you know, to continue to squeeze both sides of that middle person, you know, between the drug manufacturers and the practitioners, you know, little guys, you know, it's not sustainable at all. The only way it's sustainable is if they continue to funnel it into their own businesses um,
1: where they can hide more money,
2: and you know, otherwise it all comes crashing down.
1: Yep. Think about it, and I'll shut up after this last comment. Think about it. You go all the way back to Probably when I was in high school, you know, you're talking about the 80s, before managed care and Kaiser Permanente and Nixon and all that shit got together. You know, you're going back to basically the shoebox model, meaning, you know, true indemnified pharmacy care where, you know, if we're left with dirt cheap generics and now dirt cheap brands, who needs a PBM? You know, most consumers I think would be glad to be able to walk in and out of a pharmacy you know, with a dollar for pill on just about anything. You know, get rid of the PBMs. You know, you open up, you, your employers have gone to, to near worthless insurance anyway. You know, you give everybody an HSA with a, a fixed dollar amount, and you get at the prices of the generics and the brands down to, you know, 30 to $50 a month, if, if that. And you've t- totally destroyed the need for the PBMs.
0: No that everything that that you just said, Dave. I mean, it's just it's you're you're, you're spot on. you're absolutely spot on. So so a question that I, I think you both you and Neil have encountered in the past has been the, you know can can other manufacturers do this? is is what you're doing a sustainable model, and how would that work? I'm curious what your views are as far as the future of being able to offer something like what you're doing.
3: So, from my from my view, two things. One is this is a bit of a proof of concept, and that was actually one of the questions I had for Dave pretty early on. Is why has no one else done this? Um, and so, you know, it it takes a while for people to wrap their head around this concept. But I, I think that, you know, if we can prove that this does work. I think that it's going to be something that, that's rolled out more widely. I honestly don't know how exactly, but I, I feel like that's the way it's going to progress because I, I think just for all the reasons we, we spoke about. It. The second point is my my hope and goal is to actually have other products that, you know, are, are branded, sold in the same way. So just re- repeat this with other products where, you know, for, for whatever reason, you know, we've actually been approached by other companies who've said, we really think this is interesting. And can we work with you in order to sell our branded product? Um, and that's, you know, I, I think that as we progress, we're going to get, you know, more attention as to, you know, this is an innovative way of doing things. And hey, here are other products that are clinically beneficial that we can get for a much cheaper price where, we're not actually going through the PBMs.
0: And Dave, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, exactly. I mean, pretty much what I just said. You know, uh, when when you when you remove the entire rebate stamp, you know what you see and what, what we. I mean, what Medicare is showing is that, you know, okay, so the patavastatin, all the studies were done, you know, all the R&D, all the drug development. Admittedly, Medicare didn't have to eat that because it was already done by the the innovator with, with the potavastatin. Calcium would live alone. And so obviously, there are some costs that they were able to avoid, you know, by, by going with the, with the salt of the drug. That being said, you know, um, there's one drug that comes to mind that you know, um, I do want to put these guys together because the uh, a cousin of mine is actually was one of the medical directors of getting it through the studies in Europe, and he 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 and I were talking when we were when we were uh, discussing Medicare purchasing us, and he was relaying the frustration that they've had, same issues with trying to get it through the PBM process and trying to get it at a copay that works because they can show again in the cardiovascular space that that drug really has significant impact. Uh, for people with heart attacks, but they can't get it in the hands of people because of the pBMs and so you know as as especially as newer drugs are coming to market you know that uh, you know are being are, are treating newer conditions or different conditions you know that may be naive to the process that that haven't been involved for so long that are so jaded to think, well, this is just how you got to do it. You know, if they're young like Medicare and they haven't been, you know, led to believe that there's no other way, then as these newer products come to market and as we bring attention to this model, again, I, I, I can't find a, a logical reason that PBMs exist anymore. I mean, they just, they don't need to be there. And so this is one way to get rid of them.
0: Yeah, the evidence is certainly mounting for that, that anything beyond basic claims processing is uh, almost a non-starter anymore and with the evidence that's mounting on rebates and it's been mounting now for the better part of four years and then with this what we're talking about here in this conversation you, you know you you start to ask yourself a question which is who who all needs to know this information so so putt I know we didn't start out this way and, and Dave you and I've talked about that about the the original audiences for putt's work but we've Over the last few years, we've been invited into conversations with state lawmakers. And we actually, we submitted uh, executive order language on, on PBMs and eliminating PBM practices like rebates. But at the end of the day, we're still here. We're still talking about this, this is still happening, and so you start to ask yourself, well, if it's not the legislators who need to know and understand this, who needs to know and understand this, and the logical conclusion is right where we started, which is the employers, employers
1: yep. need to you know I said talking to Ivan the other day that you know when when PBMs originated. Okay, it was unique and it was paper driven and it wasn't computer based. And it was, you know, it was, it was simply a way to get away from the shoebox. You know, in the old days, your mom and dad saved the receipts, threw them in a shoebox, and once a year they took them into HR to get reimbursed. And, you know, managed care came along and said, well, we'll, we'll help you do away with the shoebox. We'll do all that for you. You know, and then it became computerized. You know, which even none made it simpler. Well, we're we're now we're at the stage where basically claims transmission is a switch. You know, it's a simple computer program, click, click, and it's done. You know, why do we have all this fluff and juff crap in the middle where all you really need is a switch and someone to, to process it and, and to provide and the
2: yeah, so cert- certainly we that just goes to show that we certainly don't need a middleman that thinks that their value to the drug supply chain is worth 40% of the list price. <laughs>
1: it's a hell of a lot more than 40%, buddy. <laughs> You're talking 90%.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Fuck <laughs> <Yes,
0: laughs> them. Right, going up. with what they say <laughs> that they provide with their their fancy language and branding we've been um we've been amused by some of that but we'll talk about that on another on another uh, <laughs> podcast in the future and, and when we do we'll all be sure to bring our our glossary of pbm terms with us so <laughs> now you know here here you guys are so we've got uh a distribution channel now for this really great product uh neil i'd love to know you know what what will you be doing now? How, how do you reach out to patients to let them know that this drug is available, that they don't have to go through five rounds of fail-first therapy to get it? Uh, just what, what happens here moving forward?
3: So typically, we've worked with physicians to uh, tell them about, you know, the, the, way, the ways that they and their patients can access the product. Um, that's always been the way that we've operated, you know, coming from the hospital setting. Um, and Dave has actually been an excellent partner to help us learn and, and speak to consumers directly. Again, there's always kind of been that barrier uh, where, where Dave's actually helping us to know this is actually how you should be communicating to, to customers. Um, and it's going to take a little bit of learning, I think, from, from consumers to think, okay, this is a branded product, but it's a dollar a day. What's the catch, right? So I, I think there's going to be a certain amount of education and um, messaging that has to go into this is, you know, a U.S. FDA, FDA product. Um, you know, it's it's you know, it, it's from a, a manufacturer that has U.S. operations. Um, it's just about not you know keeping your your insurance coverage for when you need it, and not necessarily, you know, having to use your coverage to actually access the product. So. I think it's a, a two-handed approach for us in terms of, you know, communicating to physicians. And again, the, it's, the response has been really positive so far. So they, they just love the idea of fewer headaches in terms of dealing with the insurance companies uh, and then talking to, to patients as well. And again, the response there has been really positive too, where they say, okay, this is great, a great price. I know I'm going to get it and it's shipped to my home.
0: And there's an interesting point that you bring up about uh, patients that wonder what the catch is. I think it speaks to the degree to which we have become so indoctrinated in this country to healthcare costs being so high for reasons nobody really understands because it's so complex. So I, I think it would be great to have both of you come back to a future podcast and and share some of the lessons that you've you've learned taking this brand new approach. I think I think that we're going to see a lot of interest about what you're doing and how you're doing it.
3: Yeah, that w- that would be great, and uh, hopefully, you know, this is uh, something that really catches on, and we can talk about other products that have been added in, in terms of success stories and. I'm interested to see, you know, what is the response from the PBMs, if we get any? You know, what are they going to tell us? I wouldn't be surprised if we had a few <laughs> a few reach outs and um maybe a few surprises.
2: Love to hear about that too, if that happens.
0: Yeah, very much. We've we've all come to um wonder what PBM surprises wait for us around the corner. So to hear that from you know, someone on the manufacturing side, <laughs> it sort of confirms what we all think in the back of our minds so well I
1: was just going to say just along those lines I do think it's worth mentioning cuz I think it'll
0: bring more attention and
1: also get some of the employers employers awareness as well you know we did spend some time today actually talking to a transparent pbm you know we know they're out there you guys might know some of them um, be familiar with them yourselves you know mm-hmm. by working with a transparent pbm you know is another way that we can You know, we don't want to totally forego the employer on what we're doing. You know, what we're doing saves the self-insured employer money right now, whether he knows it or not. You know, if if we're if we connect, you know, with a patient who happens to be working for Duke Power and we change him from Livolo over to Zipitimag and we save that employer a thousand dollars, you know, he needs to know that his PBM that's fucking him is not the one that saved him the money, you know. What saved him the money was this pharmaceutical manufacturer and this pharmacy just saved him a thousand dollars, and it didn't cost him anything for that to happen. And so, by working with a transparent PBM, we also get another angle into the employers, where we can go in and say, "Look, you know, not only you know do you have a transparent PBM saving you money, but they're also um, bringing in a manufacturer who's willing to go outside the PBM model." And so, there's another angle there to get to the employers and make sure they're aware. That we're saving them money, whether they know it or not.
2: I think that's really important to make sure that that story is is told along with this story, because uh, otherwise it'll get buried in the idea that oh, well, this is just a, a novelty, you know, an exception that you know this particular manufacturer decided to, you know, to to gain access, and and they'll try to minimize it to the point where you know, it's not related back to the idea that every single drug manufacturer could do this.
1: Right. I mean, that that's really the story to the employer. Every manufacturer could do this, <laughs> you know, and completely wipe out the PBMs from the retail space.
3: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, as we hear from other companies, uh, I, I'm curious to know what their stories are, because I think that we're not alone uh, in terms of this experience. Having said that, there's a lot of money at play here, and that raises the stakes for everyone. So yep. <laughs> that, 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 never, that never decreases the amount of uh, problems that only increases the number of problems.
0: And I think that's a good point, because right now the PBM lobby has done an excellent job of pointing the finger at, manufacturers and making it seem like they are these horrifically greedy entities when in fact what's really been happening is the opposite all along. There is a lot of money at stake. And if you are in a system, which the U.S. is, where your product can pretty much only be sold and distributed by way of a PBM, then... The kind of money that ends up getting, you know, passed back and forth starts to look not even good, but just basically reasonable. Especially if you don't know that there's another way available to you. So, I, I think there will be a lot more to to talk about this in coming episodes of this of this podcast, and certainly. You know, Neil and Dave, we'd love to have you back. And and you know, any other for anyone else who's listening out there, any other manufacturers who, you know, want to be talking about their own experiences, please let us know because we would absolutely love to to share your story. I think this is the kind of thing that PUT was organized for. And these are the stories that that not only do we want to tell, but they they have to be told. These stories have to be told so that people can begin to understand what's really happening behind the scenes and why their drug prices and their health care premiums are so high.
3: Yeah, no, thanks Thanks, Monique and Scott for the opportunity and, and happy to answer any, answer any questions if uh, anyone wants to reach out to you.
0: Great, thank you. So we're going to, so this is the, the part where we're going to close. And what I would love to ask, uh, actually all of you, even Scott, who is uh, kind of panelist and co-host with me, is as you look to 2021, so we finished 2020, yay, it's in the rearview mirror, what are your uh, what are your hopes for 2021? By the time we you know get to the end of 21 2021, what do you hope will have happened either, you know, in in the industry or in the world? Just anything you'd like to say since we're starting with a fresh slate. Uh, Neil, why don't you go first?
3: Yeah, I'm at, I, I was just happy to get through 2020, but uh, <laughs> looking <laughs> looking ahead to the end of this year. Um, you know I, 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 what I would hope to happen by the end of this year is is that you know more people ask questions uh, of the way that the the current system exists, and I, I think that that would be pretty exciting for there to be a shift in mindset. Um, I, I don't think that there's going to be drug companies that are going to be seen in a positive light by the end of this year, um, but I but I think that there could be a shift in terms of you know is this the right way to, to do business? And who's really, you know, following the money, who's really benefiting from this system? And I think that's kind of the first step is for, is for people to know that there's a different possibility and to really ask some some good questions. And, you know, that, that really spans the spectrum of, you know, independent pharmacies, uh, you know, healthcare providers, patients, and legislators. So you know them. Them thinking about you know let's let's see past the smoke in the mirrors and see you know what the real possibilities are, and uh, you know maybe find a different way of, of doing things. That that would be my hope.
0: That's well said. And Dave, what about you?
1: You know, first and foremost, you know we we've got to get this virus under control. You know, I think thank goodness. You know, within two weeks we're going to get some real leadership. That can understand that understands public health and understands what we need to do to try to get our, our 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 lives back in the United States. You know, I think it's going to take a full year. I don't think we're going to be anywhere near back to normal until 2022. But I think now we have a chance. You know, if we can get the vaccine distribution distribution tanks worked out and get that going, uh, get the GPA involved in vaccine manufacturing and you know, nationalize the distribution channels, I, I think we can get that fixed. What what, I, what In terms of what I would like to hear, I mean, much the same what Neil just said, you know, and I've been, it's been my wish since we started PUT in 2011. You know, I want the employers to realize, you know, that their self-funded bank accounts are being raided by the PBMs. You know, the following year, we're going to still have a lot of people unemployed. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the claims transmissions that they live on to to fatten their the PBM bank accounts. You know, I I, I was naive enough to believe back in the crash of 2008, 9, and 10 that when we had mass unemployment, that that would hurt the PBMs. You know, because again, they live on these claims. If the claims don't get transmitted, if there's fewer people employed, then they're making less money. You know, and the same thing's going to happen right now. We've got 10 million people unemployed they're gonna start looking for ways to make up the money they lost. They're not just gonna lose the money, they're gonna be looking for ways to make it up. And it's gonna come at the expense of the self-insured employers. And so what we're talking about here couldn't come at a better time because while we may have found a solution to one of the buckets of money, it's the biggest Ponzi scheme on the planet what these PBMs do. And so while we might solve this problem with this drug and we may even solve it with all the brand drugs, they're not gonna go away quietly. And so they're going to be raping the employers some other way. We're going to have to f- figure out what that is because it's going to happen.
0: No, that's great. Scott, what about you? What What are your hopes for 2021?
2: Um, I think that my big picture hope, just from our side of things and what we do, uh, I, I would like to see this concept successful. I mean, I know that, that being an independent owner, that I, I'm really standing outside of the window looking in. But, you know, anything I think that, you know the responsibility that Neil and his his team um Dave included have with this you know this this new uh, you know cliched great power have great responsibility to make sure that the story is told, and I hope the story gets told accurately and 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 I hope that 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 they own making sure that that the story is told um as much as they do having to answer to their shareholders while doing it because i think that, that will long term as they've mentioned um you know help to to knock a few more dominoes down until till the whole whole thing falls but you know i i would like in 2021 for the department of justice to actually hold you know hold the standard that they haven't held in 30 years and, and stop allowing these monopolies. I, I would love to see them get broken up. You know, we haven't had a, a real good break-up breakup of a, a corporation or anything like this in a long time. Um, and for some reason we're going after social media, but the PBMs are still, you know, fortune 10 companies, the top three, I, I think that they need to be broken up and I hope that there's more talk about that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think my hope for 2021 is is it has threads in everything each of you have said that I I hope that there are I hope people do start to ask the right questions and I I sort of hope for a collective eye opening because it's frustrating to me that you know a group of organizations could point the finger at for example manufacturers and say they're greedy and they're you know, responsible for the mess we're in when the people pointing the fingers are sitting in the, you know, the top 10 of the Fortune 500 and the people they're pointing the fingers at haven't even made the top 50. Uh, you know, it's just I'd love to see people open their eyes.
2: Oh, uh, they even point the fingers at, at the independent owners and call us greedy, you know.
0: <laughs> Which is... <laughs> desperate just completely desperate but that's a conversation for a future podcast so I think with that we will we'll close up this evening Neil Owens Dave Marley Scott Newman thank you so much for joining us this evening and for everyone listening thank you for joining us as well we always appreciate your comments Uh, please leave us one in the comment box and until next time have a wonderful January and we'll see you next month